You're about to listen to an episode where we talk about hunting. So you might be interested in my free guide on how to get started in deer hunting in Ireland. To get it, go to deerhunting.ie or click on the link in the show notes. From this guide, you will learn how to get a deer hunting license, obtain a firearm certificate, and get permission to hunt deer on a chosen piece of land. Everything is explained in simple language and in easy-to-follow steps. Get my free guide on how to get started in deer hunting in Ireland. Simply go to deerhunting.ie or click on the link in the show notes. You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This is Tommy's Outdoors 59, and you probably can hear some wind howling. And that's because we have a red weather warning at the moment, just one of our regular winter storms. So what a better time to sit back and prepare a bunch of podcasts for you guys. Today, our guest is Dan Curley, who is the chairman of National Association of Regional Game Councils, better known as NARGC. We sat down with Dan and he spoke about a number of things related to NARGC. We discussed what NRIGC is and what they do. We spoke about the state of countryside, decline in wildlife, and also we talked about conservation projects that NARGC is involved in, projects related to woodcock and many others. We briefly mentioned predator control, but probably the topic that most of you are waiting for and are here for is coming EU ban on lead ammunition, lead shots and lead ammunition. During the podcast, I mentioned a number of times a series of YouTube videos that I produced some time ago related to that issue. But here in this podcast, you can hear directly from Dan latest news related to the ban on lead shots and more broadly ban on lead in shooting, hunting and fishing in general. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Curley and National Association of Regional Game Councils. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Tommy. Glad to be here. I think we were we were talking like how we met, and uh, I think it was back in the, in the time when I was doing uh, like a series of videos about uh, lead and the, about the ban on lead shots by EU. And I think that somehow I got contacted with you, and then we have a, like a kind of like a back and forth. I think we have a conversation over the phone. You send me a bunch of materials, which I then turned into like I think like a three-part video series about uh, EU ban on lead shots and lead. So people who are listening to that, they can go to Tommy's Outdoors YouTube channel and and check out those videos. Uh, but even at the time, we said like, hey, we should do the podcast one day. So here we are. Oh, okay, that's that's correct, Tommy. Yeah, it, was, it must be about six months ago we talked first. So yeah. uh, the lead thing has moved on a bit, so it, it moved a bit lately. So there is a bit to talk about as yeah, well. Yeah, we anyway. surely we're going to talk about it as well. But maybe for a starters, just for our listeners, what is uh, National Association of Regional Game Councils? What are the game councils and why do they need national association? Can you lay that out just so, so people have a background what we're what we're talking about? 
Yeah, well, the National Association of Regional Game Councils, or NARGC for short, is uh, it's running for approximately 50 years. And it was originally it was set up as there was gun clubs in every area. Mm-hmm. And then there was county bodies. And it was kind of the natural progression that there be a national body, which is the NARGC. It's, it's, mm-hmm. In other words, it's the association of all the regional game councils. So there's 28 county bodies in the NARGC. And them 28 bodies would have roughly 960 clubs mm-hmm. all over Ireland. So there's practically a club in every parish yeah. in the country in Ireland of the NARGC. Yeah. We, we would uh, currently we have just about 24,000 paid up members wow. in it. Yeah. And we so have, all the people who have an insurance card, there are members. Yes, there is there is another body or two as well, but they wouldn't be as big as us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we would be the biggest by a long way. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, in the RGC insurance card, people who all the people who have that insurance, they automatically NRGC members. Correct. Yeah, they're, they're what we call an associate member. Associate. But, associate member. member yeah, yeah. So what are the, what are the membership statuses? So they're associate members, and there are like yeah. other well, types of members. Well, well t- technically, our our county bodies are our. The, the 28 bodies are, are our governing body. Mm-hmm. So in other words, and but uh, the clubs then are the governing body of the of the county bodies, mm-hmm. and the members then obviously are the governing body of the clubs. But in in order to kind of bring it all together, we are all the one family. At the end of the day, mm. the, the every member who we we do a thing called fund membership, which is. Uh, and uh, a type of insurance cover for our members yes and each member has that and and he gets the card you describe so which makes him an associate member of us you know mm-hmm. but but uh if it came to a vote at the national level it's only the county body delegates can vote at it the members cannot vote at it if you know what i mean uh-huh. you know so, sure sure so there is a it's a tiered structure mm-hmm. from club or from member to club to county to national, if you know what I mean. Ah, okay, yeah, you know, okay, okay, you know. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So you you mentioned that these are like a gun clubs that are that are associated. So tell me the is the angle or is the majority of of clubs and people are purely sports shooters or there are more like a hunters and and you know which would you say what's the what's the biggest uh, well the biggest would be your traditional gun club where mm-hmm. the uh, game. Where fellas are in a parish that they either rare game and shoot, that mm-hmm. would be our biggest membership. But we would have right. some clayboard shooters. Mm-hmm. We have hunt clubs if you're familiar with them, where mm-hmm. fellas don't use guns at all. They ju- just uh, foot harriers, as they're also known as, where, where oh. they have beagles. We would have some clubs of them. Okay. We would have a few uh, archery clubs. Wow. We, we, we would have a wide diversion of the country sports, yes. but but by and large. The vast majority would be our traditional gun club of our yes. membership, you know. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, be, because you know, obviously, we started our conversation and it started from the issue with lead, but uh, obviously, there is a lot that's going on, and the and the NRIGC has a, a lot of interest in terms of hunting and in terms of various types of hunting and whether it's a predator control and whether it's other types of of, of of hunting. So, do you feel like you're you you're also uh i think representing a, a face like a hunters european hunters organization for ireland right yes yes uh 
well, there is an organization, Face Ireland, but, but mm-hmm. we would be one of the main, the biggest partners in it by a long way. Okay. But there is more than us in it, but, but uh-huh. we would be a, a very big partner of it. Uh, I, I personally go to Face meetings in Europe as well. I was, I was mm-hmm. at one only last week in Europe. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, we, we would be part of, of Face Europe, which is we represents approximately 7 million yeah. hunters across Europe in practically every country in Europe are near, near yeah. enough to, you know. Yeah. So Face Europe is the... Is the next step up from us is the European yeah, is the yeah. European body, you know. Yeah, what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And tell me how do you how do you see FACE and what FACE is doing? Because, you know, as a as a kind of like a new hunter, like a beginner hunter, right? I got into hunting like just three years ago. Yeah. And I feel like, especially in this day and age where hunting is under a lot of pressure from, from various, you know, environmental groups and the people who think it's it's uh, you know cruel and inhumane and so on and so forth. The hunting needs uh, a lot of uh, representative people who will take care of hunters. And I feel like face is not visible enough. So is it like they're not visible, but they're doing a lot of good job? Or, are this, or is it something that, you know, could be improved, do you think? Well, like all things, it probably could be improved. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they are doing a lot of work. They would have a body. There would be, obviously, the European Union is a huge... Um, there's a huge work to be done there because yeah. nearly all the legislation coming to Ireland at the minute comes, starts its life there and it comes from there. Uh, face is good. They probably they went through a bit of a change in the last couple of years. They, they should be better in the next couple of years. I think we've made a lot oh. of changes to them mm-hmm. that should, them, should get them more at what we would call the, the cold face issues or the issues, you know, that's affecting the ordinary man mm-hmm. in this, in, 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 with the gun or, you know, the, the problems we all face yeah. in the countryside. Uh, we think there will be better and the, the, the war maybe went a little bit off kilter like a lot of organisations do, I suppose, from time mm. to time. Yeah. And uh, there has been a couple of changes in the last couple of years of personnel and one thing, in fact, there's an Irishman leading it now, a fellow called Dr. Yeah. Dr. Davis Cannell. He was appointed there about six months ago, roughly. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we look forward. He, he he would have a good record in Ireland and indeed in Europe. He was in Europe previously, but a, a lesser job. He has got the the secretary's job now, which is kind of the top job in mm-hmm. face. Yeah, uh, we we expect big things from David as well. He has he has, he's been very good down the years, and and we think that there has been very positive changes in the last while in face, and we we hope it will continue, and we hope mm-hmm. that uh, they get more central in in. Um, in meeting the the EU and and trying to impress on the EU, yeah. you know, n- not not to restrict what we have done for years and what you know the, the good conservation work and all the other work yes. we do by narrow minded, you know, tunnel vision kind of policies, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah. What well, so what would you say are the biggest problems right now, like like hunters are facing? What what would be like a first thing that you would you know, or maybe the biggest thing that you would like to work on first, you know, like yeah, there's many issues, obviously. Uh, yeah, please. So, you uh, know, g- give us top three. I suppose our core, our bread and butter is game in the field or game in our clubs, mm-hmm. which has been declining. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. obviously a lot of it is outside our control and that it's habitat loss. Yes. You know, the countryside that I grew up in, I, I, I'm hunting about 40 years, give or take. Uh, the countries that I grew up in, and the countryside is there now. You wouldn't, you know, if you came back from somewhere, yeah, in the you wouldn't recognize it. You know, yes. is, is that much vegetation taken out of the country? You know, this ditches taken out. This all the, mm-hmm. the what we used to call the rough ground years ago. Yeah. You know, the bits of down the bottom of fields, which was good for game. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's obviously been driven by the EU and Irish government for food production, basically, you know, and, mm-hmm. and maybe give an incentive to farmers. And a lot of it short-sighted stuff in that, yeah. the, the, you know, the, for instance, they've gone on in the last couple of years, they were cutting ditches down to the very bare minimum, you know, down to just a couple of twigs left <laughs> for in the name of food production, you know, that... Yeah. You know, the the Department of, of Agriculture would come out and say to a farmer, he had to use every square inch of his land, you know, hmm. and it, there was some very short-sighted stuff going on. And it, it led to farmer because farmers have to earn a living and, and they, at the end of the day, it's a business to them and yes. they have to put bread and butter on, on the table for mm-hmm. their families. Absolutely. And they went, you know, they had to go with it to a certain extent. But unfortunately, it has done an awful lot of damage to the country. You know, mm. the amount of ditches taken out now the, in the last couple of years, and with the glass, and and we expect in the new um, Cap Twenty Twenty, which yeah. is coming in shortly, yep. that there will be changes in this. But un- unfortunately, a lot of damage has been done, and it will take a good few years to reverse it. But hopefully, it will be reversed. And uh, j- just I suppose uh, to to move on a little bit from that, this whole carbon footprint obviously is big news at the minute on, mm-hmm. on everything. And and this is one of the big mistakes was made as well that, you know, the ditches and the hedges and the vegetation, generally trees, they need to be in the countryside, mm-hmm. you know, t- to counter that carbon. Yeah. And unfortunately, they've been taken out for, as I said, for very dubious reasons down mm. the years some of the time. Yeah. Uh, and I think going forward, farmers, all farmers will have to have more more hedges, more ditches, even even maybe dairy people or people who are in high production in the farming they still should have, uh, you know, hedges and a, and a good degree of, of vegetation in their farm as part of, the, of that program. You know, this thing where a farmer has maybe 150 acres completely divided by electric fences, yeah. not nothing in the line of vegetation. That yeah. should be a thing of the past. Yes. That should be done away with. Yes. It's good for no one. It's not even good for the land over mm-hmm. the longer term because trees and vegetation break up the, the structure of the land. They help to... To break up the, you know, the land gets compact if if the farmers just spreading slurry on it and production, production, yeah. And I think it, it has been it's widely accepted now that the land is losing its productivity, yeah, because of that as well, you know. So yeah. th- that that needs to stop big time. But uh, there is a move towards that, but hopefully it'll be done in a systematic, in a fair way for farmers as well, because farmers are the key here. Yes. If if you can give the farmers the right incentive to do these things, yeah. they will do it. Yeah, Man, many are, want to do it. They but they, do they, it, they yeah. just, just there's like you say they have to put their bread and butter on the table, so yeah. they often doing what they have to yeah. rather than what they would like to. Exactly, and farmers have always been good conservation. Like I remember down the years, farmers would be cutting silage or whatever. If they saw a, a clutch of boards, be the pheasants or be the whatever, they would get off the tractor and go out and push them out. The mm. you know, but unfortunately. Maybe we've lost a little bit of that down the years as well. The farmers were always looked after the wildlife on the farm. They always were conscious of it. They'd always, you know, if they've seen oh, something, they'd yeah. try to do their best for it. Of course. You know, but unfortunately, maybe we've gone a little bit away from it with some of the younger farmers, and we need to go back there and try to get farmers thinking wildlife, thinking more vegetation around their, their farms, not just, you know, and, and they still can produce, the farms can still be very, very productive. Yeah. You know, a ditch of maybe four foot in the bottom, it's not going to waste it's up much. Exactly. You know what I mean? Uh, plus it gives great shelter for stock, for cattle, you know? Yeah. And all, and all that. So, I mean, there's a balance here, but unfortunately we've lost the balance over the last maybe 20 years particularly, you know, yeah. badly. And unfortunately it has caused a lot of problems. That is the biggest, biggest threat 
yeah. that we have seen over the years. Mm. Uh, obviously, clubs trying to keep pheasants on the ground, it's a difficult problem because, yeah. because with no proper habit at pheasants weren't breeding particularly well. You know, they, a lot of the time, pheasant won't go out into a big open field. They need cover. They yeah. need somewhere to hide. Yeah. You know, and, and so do a lot of other wildlife, you know. But it, it, has, yeah. been a, it has been a problem. That, that probably has been the biggest problem for, from a game shooter's perspective. Yeah. Now, there is obviously some positives. It's not all negative, you know. The woodcock, they come in from foreign mostly. Now, we have a native woodcock as well. Yeah. But We get to the woodcock in a yes, second okay. because, I, because I want to specifically talk about the woodcock. But I just want to uh, back out to what you said just a second ago. And it's fascinating that the first thing you, you mentioned is the really destruction of the habitat and there's less and less game. Are you familiar about this book called Whittled Away? Uh, written by Porek Fogarty. He's uh, in the Irish Wildlife Trust. He's a, he's a campaign officer of Irish Wildlife Trust. Um, so I'm curious about your opinion because it seems to me like there is these two fractions. On one hand, there are people who are talking about the conservation and they want to conserve the nature and they want the animals and all that and they want to rewild and so on and so on and so forth. And on the other hand, we have uh, shooters and, and hunters and so And it seems like the, both groups are want the same thing. They want the same thing. They want a lot of wildlife. They want a lot of habitat. But it seems like there's like a tension. They kind of be, seems to be fighting over with each other. Mm. What do you have any comments on that? And and can it be like you know like okay we disagree on these items right because for example you want all the deer and all the foxes to be you know free and and I want to shoot them but at the same time we can work on the things that we agree upon right let's sort out the habitat let's sort out you know forestry and so on. Is there is there a way to to get these two groups talking and and kind of working towards conservation together rather than being opposed? Uh, the probably is we would have worked on stuff together down the years. You know, we would have. Hmm. Uh, where we probably disagree, and you, you, you touched on it slightly there, is some of them people are against killing any animal. Or, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's kind of their principle. Yeah. Now, of course, they are a little bit naive in that, in that it is an animal world. Like Darwin pinned yeah. it down how many hundred years ago. Yeah. It's survival of the fittest, and, yeah. and, and it's still there, and it's still... Yeah, and this know, animal going to die anyway. The, the air, yeah, and... And probably know, being shot by a hunter is like the best death that animal can have. Yes, it, it, It's it, much it, better than starvation. Starvation, yeah, and, and unfortunately, there is another thing, uh, and if you're looking probably for the second biggest destructive thing in the Irish over the last, is that a number of predators particularly have really have really become very, very plentiful in the wild. For instance, you have hmm. you have things like the, the hooded crow or the grey crow, the yeah. magpie. They yeah. are everywhere. I mean, yeah. everywhere. And they have really, really dominated the wildlife scene over the, lab for, over the last 20, 30 years as well, for some reason. Yeah. It's hard just to put your finger why they've got so dominant. They obviously... They're very adaptable. Correct, yes. That is their... And, and you could put the fox into the same category. Very mm -hmm. adaptable. You, you could put a fox on the moon and he'd live... <laughs> you know what I mean, and it, he has proved it down the years. He, the, the, there were brought those foxes brought to Australia by the English to hunt. Oh yeah, two hundred years ago, oh, and, yeah. and now they're the most dominant it's a creature mess. in Australia. In Australia, they, it's a mess. They have it's adopted everywhere. Mm. You know, and they are adopted. Of course, they're uh, they can eat anything. They can live anywhere. Mm. And the grey crow is the same. They're predator, of course. Yeah. But of course, the word predator is 
they will predate it on the other animals. And yeah. that, that is the problem. The other animals, their habitat is a bit compromised. They're a bit compromised. Then the predators are taking their toll off them as well. Yeah. And, and they, they have, they have put, you know, while, while the others were already in trouble, mm-hmm. the predators, for, for the want of a better word, they put the final nails in the coffin, if you know what I mean, yeah. for some of them. Yeah. Because they, they were predating. They're, they're good at what they do. Grey crows, magpies, they are good at what they do, make no mistake. And the other animals are vulnerable. And particularly, of course, the real vulnerability is around nesting time. You know, if a grey crow gets a nest and raids the eggs, that that bird is going to have no offspring that year. And that bird needs to breed, particularly if they're they're one of the really endangered ones. I I remember seeing, uh, I was on holidays. It was a number, number of years ago, like like a decade ago. And uh, there was a lot of people, you know, and then some sightseeing, and it was a crow uh, basically robbing and eating the nest of the other birds. And the, the birds were obviously, you know, trying to defend them, but it was like a, you know, scene. Yeah. And the people were like horrified. They were like, you know, they didn't understand what's going on. Like, oh my God, these birds. Like, well, that's how nature works. That's, that's, this, you know, so that, that like, yeah, how these people are, have no idea. You yeah. know, they, they, but, uh, they, they think that the crow is eating of the, you know, yeah. chips they're going to throw from, from their Big yeah. Mac or whatever, yeah. you know. It's like, that's, that's completely natural for them. Yeah. That's what they'll do and they'll do it the cows come home if yeah. they get a chance to do it yeah. you know that's nature yeah. uh, and go, I suppose go back to the point yeah. you were on about the, the other people yeah. they were naive in relation to that for the last 20 years by and large because they took on projects for instance there was the the Corlew project there was the Cardin Creek project on the callows mm-hmm. and they didn't you needed zero tolerance for predators around because them birds were on their last legs so they needed yes. you needed to really protect the nests and protect the whole lot and they didn't probably protect them enough in some of them projects. You know yeah. what I mean? They needed to be a lot more thorough on the grey crow. It had to be eradication or very close to in them particular area. I don't mean everywhere, mm-hmm. but in them particular areas because all the crow had to be right was once. If she got the nest once, it was yeah. gone. Yeah. You know, for, yeah. yeah. And that board was gone for that year. No production. Mm-hmm. And they already down to probably single digit numbers anyway. They needed to breed, you know. So yes. they were naive. In that nowadays, they do accept that the crows and all these have to be controlled, yeah. which is a, a big move for them. But that only came maybe the last five to ten years. Before that, they would have said, let nature take its course, let nature mm-hmm. find its level, you know, which we found it didn't find its level. Yeah. You, know. you know, I find, I find that the, the, the people who are in those organizations, they probably would, would you know, both on on the level of people who are actually want to do something, they would find the common language. I think there there's just just like a regular members who gets drawn to these organizations are so different, and I and I think this is this is the problem that people don't want to listen to each other arguments and they're getting very emotional and they're getting very you, you know, and and it's 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 sad because like you said like the first thing that you said is like it's a habitat loss and the countryside how it right and i remember that that book by it's called whittled away by yeah. Patrick Fogarty. He, this is exactly what he's saying about like you know how this used to look yeah. like yeah. what birds we used to have and we can hear and like right now none of that is around mm. and you know i would love to see an rigc and irish wildlife trust for example working together which i don't think is going to happen for for various reasons well, well it, it will happen to some degree but but then 
there's extremes in that. I'm not. I know off the man you're talking about. I don't know a lot about him, but I, I yeah. know his name, and I haven't yeah. read the book. But I, I would imagine I know what he's he's yeah. saying, and by and large, yeah. Yeah. But uh, there's extremes in that too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Borg is not extreme at all. I, I had yeah, him on a podcast is, twice, and you yeah. know he's very reasonable yeah. about it. And this is what I'm saying, like. We all should work together. Yeah, we would. We would work, and we have worked. Like there has been projects where we have worked with them, and it has worked well by and large. You know, really. But but oh, oh there is. Yeah, there's projects like the, there's a Ballydangan Grouse project in South Roscommon. You you mightn't be aware of it. Oh uh, no, I didn't hear about it. Yeah, that. there is. Yeah, oh. they, they would have worked there together, and our, our people would have been leading it. But the Boardwatch would be there with them to do counts with them, to work uh -huh. with them. Like we would have worked together, and we will probably down the years we will be working more together. It's awesome. Oh, it's very optimistic. I'm so glad to hear that. No, no, we, we wouldn't be against it. The problem is if they come with something like you can't control foxes or you can't control, because yeah. we know if you don't control them, yeah, you're, you're already, you're already, your project is already seriously compromised yeah. if you don't do it. You know. Let, let's talk about foxes. So this is a nice segue, and let's talk about foxes and predator and predator control, like we don't like this is this is something that for my benefit even like. We do, every time you want to call the animal, right? You want to call, you want to organize call or whatever. You need to know what is the population, the you know terrain of the of the area. As far as I know, we have no census. We have no idea how many foxes we have. So you know, it's like if someone is talking to me like, "Oh, you you know this guy is like a you know uh, bloodthirsty psychopath yeah. because he's shooting foxes," um, I. I have a hard time to defend it. I don't think that that there's bloodthirsty psychopath, yeah, obviously, yeah. Uh, but I also have a hard time to formulate argument in defense because we don't know how many foxes we have. Like o o overall, whether the number is dropping, whether the number is going up, whether it's you know what's the population dynamic, yeah, yeah. what is density. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know that anyone fully knows, mm. but we say our members and those on the ground. The fox population has never been in trouble. The only time it might have been in trouble, yeah, uh, was in the late seventies mm -hmm. when there was an outbreak of rabies. I don't know. You probably don't remember this. Yeah. There was an outbreak of rabies in France, and no. they came. No. They started coming here for buying fox skins. Oh, and there was a lot of hunting of them. Okay, I mean a lot of hunting of foxes. So as stuff. usual, the market hunting kind yeah, of is yeah, and the money was quite big for them at the time, you know. Mm -hmm. But I mean. I think every one of our members would would accept after that you, you could never wipe out foxes in this country, even if you wanted if you wanted to try do it. You know really? that, that they are that adaptable, they're that good at surviving. That I heard somewhere that on the on the on the on the British Isles that includes Ireland, but in both that the yeah. fox population dropped forty percent. I don't know where that number come from, but this is you see this is my point that anyone yeah. can go out and say whatever they want, and yeah. you know I don't if if the guy if some someone has an attitude like, oh, fox hunting should be banned, right? Yeah. And they hear that, oh, fox population dropped 40%. That gets perpetuated. Like nobody checked, nobody facts no, checked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just gets per perpetuated, right? Yeah. And then there's another guy who's like, oh, there's foxes more than many. Like, and again, like people who like shooting foxes, like, oh, you see, and then... And it, yeah. Is there any project like that would kind of try to assess? And I'm just going about foxes, but I, I'm, you know, listeners to this podcast heard me talking many, many times about deer census. We yeah. have no idea how many deer we have. Like, is there any chance 
we will have sort of a count of of you know foxes and deers and badgers, so we actually know what's uh, what's going on with these animals. We have we do have a vermin competition in the ERGC where every club partakes in a vermin, and they give in the number of foxes that they shot. You know, yes. and it has been consistent down the years. You know, okay, you're talking. Maybe there could be 30,000 foxes shot in the year or something. I just can't think of the top okay. of my head now what yeah, it was yeah. last year. But that number is steady. It's oh, steady, yeah, steady. And like okay. all the, there is no indication but that the foxes are doing well and all of us have done well and, and all of us will do well. Yeah. You know, that, that, that has been consistent the whole time. Even, for instance, there's a diseases in dogs and we all assume foxes will probably get the diseases but then it never seems to affect foxes oh. or they seem to be able to you know parvo which is common in dogs yeah. or th- there's a number of other ones as well you know your standard dog is injected for 10 10 different yes vaccines yes exactly and we you know even some fellas who hunt foxes a bit will say Foxes surely get are subject to that as well, but they have got rounded or, or whatever way they have, you know, because the fox will be very closely related to a dog, aren't we? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and uh, you'd imagine they would take parvo, but it never seems to have affected them down the years, or you know, I, I, they probably have an adaptability, yeah, to adapt to these things. I, I don't know what way they do it, but yeah, they, they have adapted. We we would have uh, we are bringing in a new system. Maybe we're trying to get a new app going mm-hmm. for all our our. For well, our bag returns is our woodcock, mm-hmm. our game, but we will also be doing it for the vermin. Yeah, and it would maybe satisfy what you just said there mm-hmm. to give you a strong indication. What's the population? What dynamic? the populations are? What the populations are being taken? And in relation to the game, now we probably well, we could do it in relation to vermin as well. Mm-hmm. You could say what you've seen as well. We will be saying mm-hmm. it in relation to game. Say if you went out and you shot three woodcock, but you saw ten, mm-hmm. you'll be putting down saw ten, shot three. You know. Yeah. And obviously, yeah. then our base give in the wings as well for for testing. We send the wings away to uh, to identify the juveniles or see yeah. that that helps to indicate how well they're breeding. If there's if there's a higher proportion of juveniles, it say, it says they're breeding well, even though they may have bred in Russia or mm-hmm. wherever they came from. Now you're talking about woodcock. Wood, oh, sorry, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about woodcock. But, but yeah. I mean, it's all part of the research which we're involved in as well. By yeah. the way, that trying to find out. Where, where we're at, and do you where ma- we're likely to go, you know. And do you maintain like a database of the, because I know, I, I'm getting like a, like a, a booklet uh, every year and there is a section that you can, you know, send with the returns. The bag return, yeah. The bag yeah. return. And uh, so do you guys maintain like a database and then, and then look at the, the, the data in it or is it just got fed into the National Biodiversity Database? Or you're separate? No, we're separate. We're separate. Okay. Would we have recommended to our members to use that nas- national bite in relation to all animals to see when they're out? Yes. Just to, to, to help that along, you know. Hmm. But no, that thing, the, the, our own bag return is separate. Okay. We, we, we have used it for years. That's been going on for years. Mm-hmm. Now, we have had a problem trying to get members to fill it because they tend to yeah. they get it in their magazine and they can also get it online if they look at our website. Yeah. But fellas don't. For a couple of reasons, fellas are... If fellas have a good spot for woodcock, for instance, they don't like maybe yeah. to, they're afraid that the word will get out, that there's a lot of woodcock here and everyone yeah. from around the country will come, you know, so there is yeah. a bit of... But they can they can put as as, as, as vague of the location they be, yeah. as they we, want, like we, County we, Kerry. We, we, we have been telling them that, that, that uh, it won't be disclosed where yeah. they're shot. We'll just say Munster, there was Samani or Kerry, you know, it'll yeah. be a wide area. It won't be specific to where they're shot, yeah, exactly. you know, because... They are afraid that someone will say, oh, a lot of woodcock in wherever. 
Yeah. Mullingar. <laughs> we'll head to Mullingar mm. next Sunday, you know. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's the problem, you know. So if you're listening to this and you see your, your bag return and their IGC and RGC bag return laying on your table, just get that thing and send it up. And oh, yeah, yeah. We've been pushing this for the last couple of years because there is a requirement as well under the BORS directive yeah. to put in bag returns. It was voluntary up to now, but from this year onwards, mm-hmm. the Irish government have to put in a bag return to the EU Okay. Under the board's directive, it's I think it's section twelve or okay. of the board's directive. It is mandatory from now on. So that's why we are at the moment as well trying to get an app up and running for our yeah. members. Yeah. To make it easier, particularly for the younger members, and that, yeah. that when they're out of the shooter board, they just yeah click it and, and yeah. you'll have the location. I must I must say that even by browsing your website and now you're talking about the app that you try to get it running, like it it looks good. I was I was you know kind of expecting to see like an antiquated website that well, it, nothing it, is happening happening for a long time, but I was pleasantly surprised by the, in the amount of information I can find on the on the website. So it, it is, but it, it is it is a bit old. Uh, we are currently looking at a setting up a new one with mm-hmm. a lot of new attachments like I've described there to you because mm-hmm. we are trying to bring our members a sign-in area for our members as well mm-hmm. that they'll be able to go on and sign in and uh, check their status check membership their status, status and so maybe on. there will be maybe discounts for certain things as well mm-hmm. for so. some uh, vermin equipment and that kind of stuff it'll be all you know stuff to do with our business yeah. as such and yeah. not, not, not anything else yeah. but uh, there will be there will be a sign-in area like that hopefully before too long we are looking or fairly advanced yeah. looking ahead at the minute so okay we're oh, that's going. good news yeah okay dan let's talk about woodcock so what are they so maybe maybe just for the purpose of, of our listeners because like maybe some of them don't even know what the woodcock is so can you just lay it out to us like what's the what is the woodcock why what is the tradition of hunting and what are the issues around that, that? Well, woodcock is um, a middle-sized bird. Um, what size is it now? Uh, like the size of a pigeon? Smaller. Yeah, a little bit smaller than smaller. a pigeon, maybe. Uh, similar to a snipe, if you're familiar with mm. a snipe, but about maybe six times the size of a snipe, roughly mm. five, six times the size of a snipe. Mm-hmm. Very similar, long beak, an ungainly-looking kind of a, a creature, but a, but a very fascinating creature mm-hmm. in a lot, in an awful lot of ways. Uh, same color as a snipe, that kind of brown with lovely, some very, very lovely brownish feathers in them. Uh, a, r- a really nice bird, a bird that's um, cryptic. Some of the experts call them because they, mm. even though everyone knows a, f- a certain amount about them, no one can really put their finger on a lot of the stuff to do. Yeah. You know, particularly around the breeding season, that yeah. the, the people are very. There's a thing called a rodent, mm-hmm. and we're, no one is really sure what they're at. It is obviously a courtship or a or a mating process, but mm. the ma- the male seems to fly around, and he'll do this what they call rodent. This is during April, May, mm-hmm. June, and uh, he's obviously talking to females on the ground, but yeah. the, but. Uh, the theory is that he's a bit promiscuous, that he's not tied uh-huh. to any particular f- uh-huh. female, that if, if she calls back, he'll go down and visit her or whatever, you know. Uh-huh. And that the female may, may be more... A lot of birds, as we know, are have territories, what we call territories. And the theory is that the female may ho- hold the territory with a woodcock, but it's not... Yeah. There is little or nothing known about it. For instance, your grey crow, your magpie, they all have territories mm-hmm. during the breeding season. That's why you see the, the famous two magpies together. Yeah. They're, they're territorial. Yeah. Nearly every bird is territorial, but the woodcock is something different. No one rightly can just put their full finger on it. So they are a cryptic bird. 
they're they're known as European woodcock, Eurasian, mm. sorry, woodcock. Mm -hmm. um, we have also also the, when you, when you see the cow like a like a uh, excrement and those those uh, kind the, of like a like a holes in it. That's, the, yeah, that's yeah. woodcock. That's woodcock. Yeah, I didn't know that. But I saw this and then I saw a footage from the trail cam. Like a woodcock is working on, and it's like, oh, so that's what it's. That's what I didn't yeah. know. I didn't know that. It's fascinating, and I'm sure a lot of people seen this, yeah. and they have no idea that yeah. there's like a little bird that does these these these, yeah. these holes. They, they are. They will normally be at the bottom, at the soft mud in the bottom of a drain, because they have a long. Their beak would be maybe three inches, three and a half inches long. Hmm. So what they do is they put the beak down into soft mud or that, and they're able to get little crustaceans and stuff mm -hmm. down in the mud. Yeah, that's what they feed on. Yeah. Invariably, hunting them, you'll get them along little soft, where there's a stream running down the bottom of a drain mm -hmm. or or anywhere. Usually, there's bare clay or somewhere where they can pick at the clay. You mm -hmm. usually won't get them in where there's a lot of grass. Usually, they like a clay surface, either a, the, the muddy at the bottom mm -hmm. of a river or a muddy area. Maybe under black tarns or white tarns, sometimes you mm -hmm. can get them where, where the clay is exposed. Mm -hmm. uh, but they, they, are, they are, as I said, a fascinating bird, a very, very elusive bird. Uh, we, we, have, um, we have a native woodcock who breed here and stay here the whole year. Oh, okay. And we have the migratory woodcock. Okay. Now, a lot of people confuse this because during the wintertime you go out and if you're in a good area for, for you know, a good natural habitat area, you could be seeing a lot of woodcock rising. But they are there's a, an opinion as to what the percentage is but the percentage will be overwhelmingly native or sorry mm. overwhelmingly migratory, migratory that have come in uh -huh. and they usually come in from Russia that uh, they can come from anywhere but it's all that cold area Siberia the whole yeah. way from Latvia the whole way across Europe for instance a couple of years ago they tagged a couple of woodcock here in Ireland mm -hmm. they tagged one in Cork and he flew to Latvia yeah and the tag one in Galway, he flew to St. Petersburg or near St. Petersburg in Russia. Wow. You know, and uh, wow. and ironically, even though they're, they're actually a, a slow flyer, they're regarded mm -hmm. as, a, I, think I saw a quiz somewhere where it said they're the slowest flying bird in Ireland. Wow. But it's where they're flying that makes them difficult. They're always flying in and out through trees and, you yeah. know. Uh, but when they, when they went back to Russia, they were flying somewhere around 1,600 kilometers a day. Wow. They went back in about three days you know, the, yeah, the, and that surprised a lot of people because everyone thought they'd only fly maybe a hundred mile or two and then pull down and have yeah. a rest and go again. Yeah, but no, they they flight long wow. distance at times. So wow. they're, they're very, very, very fascinating bird. The the obviously the native one is here. They would breed. Now uh, there was a survey done by Birdwatch about uh, four or five years ago, maybe, mm -hmm. that said there was no na They said the native woodcock were in serious danger at the time. Yeah, that there was no native woodcock in I think it was fourteen or sixteen of the counties. Yeah, now that has been proved wrong. Can you tell easily whether it's a native or migratory bird, or is it like some no, sort of a genetic? No, they're analysis the same. System. They're the same if you shoot if you if you caught them during the winter time. Just the same. This the same, same bird. Thing. But the only thing you if you raise a woodcock in from maybe April May onwards, then it's a native. It's then, a native. Yeah, they're here. Yeah. Sometimes when you've gone down maybe feeding pheasants or something, you see a woodcock getting up. That is a native one, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the 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 Birdwatch survey kind of found that, um, or, or they came back with that that they were in dire straits. The native one was in dire straits, you know. Mm. And uh, but since that, we have done surveys ourselves, and they're not now now they're not overly plentiful. And as I said, probably of all the native of all the woodcock in the winter time that'd be here, 
You're mm-hmm. probably talking about ninety percent migratory, or maybe more. Yeah, like the, the vast majority of them are migratory that have come in. You mm-hmm. know, but uh, uh, just at the minute we're doing. A, we have a PhD student doing research on them. He's, he's in oh. co- he's in UCL, a fellow called James O'Neill. Okay. If you if anyway any of your listeners want to Google Woodcock Project in Ireland, is uh, very uh, it's very interesting. And he mm-hmm. he had us doing these. He, in fact, he wants volunteers as well in May or that to, to mm-hmm. listen to the Woodcock Roden to do a wood or somewhere in your area. Yeah. So you can you see this fella Roden? Yeah. You know, and then you obviously know they're in the area. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's been going on for last year and this year. Now, his findings have been quite good. He has only mm. one year's findings yet, but uh, he said that, that there's woodcock in, in most counties in the Republic. Not, not so good, funny enough, in Northern Ireland for some reason that he yeah. just can't put his finger on. Yeah. But uh, the, the woodcock number, the native woodcock numbers is quite good. Yeah. Uh, and this is like a very traditional game bird as well, woodcock. So oh, there's God, a, yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. a big tradition of... Uh, is, is, does, does that tradition came from anything specific because like the, the bird is like a small bird so i would imagine that from the perspective of eating that meat it's not particularly you know compelling or maybe i'm wrong maybe has it has like a fantastic you know mm. tasting flesh i don't know i'm just wondering you know whether it's it's just a sport of shooting bird in its own or is it something behind it well there'd, there'd be something behind it the meat is is very prized meat on a woodcock Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, we had a problem about five or seven years ago where woodcock was being sold, you know, being exploited or being sold oh. to dealers. Uh, and uh, they are a delicacy in a lot of restaurants, particularly in France. Uh-huh. And, the, and some of the big chefs in Ireland, without mm-hmm. giving any names, mm-hmm. were also, uh, you know, having them on the menu. And they are, they are a prized bird and uh, for their meat. So wow. there was a problem with that. So at the time, the national parks did come in and say the ban the sale of woodcock. Yes, that you can't you can't sell sell woodcock. You know, which was great at the time from our point of view because there was a number of dealers. Yes, coming around. Trying oh, to I think I think it's always you know when the when the when the animal has a when the animal is in a decline and it has a value for you can sell to, sell to the restaurants yeah. and at the same time you don't have regulation over shooting, yeah. then it usually means problem. You know, the reason I'm asking that, I've, I've seen not, not long ago, a couple of days ago, I've seen a photo of uh, uh, the guys were hunting woodcut in Denmark, I think. Right. And there was like a, a few of those birds lying. I'm thinking like, well, you know, they're migratory birds. This is this small bird. It, and I, what I'm going to say now is, is unpopular. and It's going to be controversial. Someone's giving out to me. But my honest like a feeling was like, whoa, it's, uh, you know, it's a pity. Those little birds is like not much food, not much eating. Uh-huh. And they're in the decline. It's like, uh, I would probably not go shooting woodcock, uh, but that's me. That's my just yeah, just my yeah. just my personal uh, opinion. So, so what are the problems? So the population is declining. The, the, na- the native population was, but we think it is stable. Now this is what the PhD is doing for four years. Oh, okay, so that's the proper science. Proper science, yeah, ah. proper science. And we, we have we have contributed. Uh, I think it's eight thousand a year for for five years into this. A wow. number of other people have come into it, including the. The British Game Conservancy are in it. There's mm-hmm. six or seven. Boardwatch are with us on that as well. We have meetings with the National Parks people, and there's a, a whole core plus people from the university in Cork. Yeah. Where, where this man, this man is excellent, actually, that James O'Neill man. Yeah. And I, I would appeal to any of your listeners to yeah. to go onto that Woodcock site. He is yeah. a real, real. 
Oh, I try. I try to get him on the podcast. To, to get him on a podcast, yeah. I try yeah, to yeah. get him on the podcast and, and uh, explore he, a little bit of the. He spends. He's, he might even take you out. Mm-hmm. He ca- he's a, he's a licensed to catch birds and tag them as well. Wow! And he spent all last winter and half the summer. If, if, if I rang him up and said I have a couple of woodcock and one, and James would be there to follow night to tag them. He's a really really. Get wow. up and go, fella. You know, awesome. a really good fella. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, he, he's he's attached to Cork University. He's from Northern Ireland. He's from uh-huh. uh, Porter Down area. But he's okay. a real, real top fella. You know, oh. at this guy. And uh, and uh, I say his findings have been very good. And hopefully he will say, and he is saying it. He has said it so far that that they're not. Well, there's maybe not. They're not falling out of the rafters. Mm-hmm. The native woodcock is good. But then I suppose if we go on to the the migratory one, the migratory ones are, are very very common. Like they would a lot of migratory birds come in okay. here, you know. Because and there's always the most difficult to to conserve the birds that are animals in general that are migratory because you can put a regulation on one one area and then the bear flies somewhere else yeah. and then get get hammered over there because there's no That's regulation and then the people who are, you know, in a, living in the area when you have a regulation it's like whoa why don't we have a you yeah. know, we we have a bag limit and we have a restriction and we have all that, and then that damn bird goes fly to Russia or somewhere else, and they're just it's like you know fair game to anyone. Yeah. So it's yeah, always yeah, that, hard. That is a problem with all migrants. And there's another subject you might come on to in a minute, and it's a similar problem mm-hmm. where particularly here the migratory ones come here for the milder winter and then they don't actually breed here they breed back in in russia or, or latvia or wherever they go back to you know mm-hmm. and uh, obviously we have no control over the population or that we you know you can't do a conservation project that might help them to breed or something so yeah uh, on another subject we'll come on to in relation to ducks we, there is a, uh, seven european countries have joined together yeah. in relation to ducks okay please sub- please let's, let's just jump that, yeah? Yeah, yeah 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 let's just you can. no no there's uh, seven countries they call it the the, the wild for Get the, get the, the Waterfowlers Network. It's um, oh. Denmark, Finland, Germany, Sweden, Netherlands, UK, and ourselves have all got together and put in some money into this. Mm-hmm. And it's it's based. I, I don't know. Your listeners may be familiar with Ducks Unlimited in America. Yeah, it's the same principle. Well, I'm at least I'm familiar. I don't know if my listeners are familiar, but I'm familiar with Ducks Unlimited. Yeah, it, it's same principle in that the ducks mm. come down from Canada or down from and down to Central America. Yeah. They're just migrating there. They're not breeding there. So the yeah. Americans contribute money to try conserve the breeding areas. Up, in other words, the work with the Canadians or wherever yeah. the breeding grounds are to try and protect conserve them, them where they're breeding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Try to get them to breed better. That they're more. And what we're the ducks we're talking about here is like a widgeon, teal, pochard, mm-hmm. the gadwall, uh, the tufted ducks. The, you know, the widgeon used to be the big one here. Mm-hmm. You know, they come from. No one is rightly sure to know they come from somewhere around there, mm-hmm. but uh, northern Finland there's some big breeding grounds in the obviously the breeding grounds across Russia. But we would hope that this project we will start tagging ducks in the next couple of years and, and try and maybe uh, radio tag a few ducks as well, mm-hmm. just to see wow. where the, where say for the widgeon maybe that's down on the Shannon around Limerick or wherever, mm-hmm. try to find out where they're coming from. Are they coming from? Latvia they're coming from Russia or where they're coming from you know yeah. and try and folly some of these ducks have gone down a bit in numbers as well so there, there mm-hmm. is a there is a need to to have a have a good management plan around them as well you know try and yeah. try and work out which way they're going and should we maybe reduce shooting on them if need be for a while or or whatever you know whatever it takes to make sure because no one wants to see a any species getting wiped out or, mm-hmm. or, or even getting into bad state of repairs mm-hmm. so uh, that that is the kind of thing that, that that thing started maybe two years ago 
them seven countries and we, we've been at two meetings with them and it will it will develop and develop you know but initially we were talking about maybe doing a fair bit of tagging for the first couple of years yeah. try and work out flight paths of where they're coming from where you know yeah and then try well, and maybe develop the the breeding sites and that we say them seven countries bar finland maybe would all be recipients yeah. of ducks so we yeah. be we contribute money to us wherever the breeding grounds are oh. to try and try and conserve the ducks there so it's it's a kind of what you were saying there a minute yeah. ago that's exactly well dan i must say that it is it is super positive all what you're saying i mean like i i, I mean I even want to mention at the beginning, so now I'm going to mention that even like a, a NARGC is like a sort of a special organization because even like if you have those cards, those insurance cards, yeah. I get it from, they're so beautiful. There's a, there's a like, you would imagine that the, uh, you will get like a piece of cardboard. Yeah. But they're so nice. I'm, I'm collecting them. I'm, I'm keeping them because it's like a collectible item. Like, look at this. So you're putting a lot of effort to all this stuff. There's a, there's a lot of people working on it, right? Ah, uh, uh, there is. Yeah, there is. We, we have uh, the cars have been going now long. They're going maybe 15 years. <laughs> I don't know mm. whether you have 15 or not. No, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have a 15. I have, I have, I have three. Three. Yeah, <laughs> have an, an, no, maybe four or three. <laughs> something the, like single digits. The NRGC probably is. It's a bit special organization in a way, and not because I'm chairman of saying it, but uh, unlike maybe other European hunting organizations, we're very much everyone involved. You know, you could have yeah. the wealthiest man in a parish. You could have the, the man maybe on social welfare or the man the, the, the man with very little money in the parish. You'd have yeah. the farmer, you could have the plumber, you could have, yeah. you know, we're just all over the place. It's awesome, man, because that's a, like an epitome of what the being outdoors and, and yeah, being yeah. hunter is. Like, like let's unite people. You, you see, it does unite people. And, and down the years, uh, with the troubles and all the rest of it in the north down the years, it, it crosses all the divides as well. There never has had a problem crossing yeah. the divides, you know, Catholic, yeah. Protestant. In fact, there's series, an awful lot of clubs, including my own, to be a great mix of all the different religions in them as well. Mm. That has never been an issue with the gun clubs down the years, you know, yeah. even in along the border or even in Northern Ireland, for instance. But the question is, do you have vegans on? <laughs> Not that I, I'm sure there is someone. If I say there isn't, someone will probably ring up and say there are. <laughs> there are. But uh, not that vegan, of course, is a fairly modern phenomenon. I, I heard about the fella who is a hunter, but he's a vegan. I've heard. Like, like how does that work? Yeah, it's just, just like, ah. Like, there's one thing about Ireland, you'll always get contradictions. Yeah. You know, and I, I recall someone, I think it was a birdwatch person, and they were very big hunters as <laughs> well. Yeah. So the, you know I'm not mean? surprised about that. No, no I'm not it's probably not because people, you know, and, and yeah, so, that's what I mentioned at the beginning, right? That you're yeah. expecting, like, if you're yeah. a member of certain organization, yeah, you're, you're expected to have a certain point of view. Yeah, you're stuck in that column there. And yeah, yeah. Someone else in this column, but exactly. I, Ireland, and I've seen this in different walks of life in Ireland. Irish people tend to be all over the place, you know. Well, they could good. be extreme here. They could be. <laughs> yeah. They could be in a counter organization here, you know. That, that's yeah. the way. I don't know what it is about Irish people, but they tend to be that way, you know. Yeah. But uh, the NRC is an organization we have embraced everyone down the years, thankfully, and I hope it always continues. Mm. Like for instance, in some countries, shooting that is seen as an elite sport. Yeah. And there be very little driven shooting, which tends to be the elite yeah. end of shooting, anyway. Yes. There's very little of that. Mm -hmm. You know, like our organization is all the fellas in the parish, the yeah. release pin, 
the lack of woodcock if they have a you know the woodcock coming in if they mm-hmm. have a good water the lack of ducks coming in or they're native they may raise a, mm-hmm. a few mallard themselves or whatever yeah it's very much the local effort yeah. for the local people it's yeah. a giant effort for the local people you know and that's yes. the way it always has been it's it's fantastic it's yeah. it's very optimistic listen dan so uh let's let's get into the subject of the lead and the eu right this is this is really um something we we discussed a lot and the last time uh we spoke you sent me some materials uh i'm i'm going to refer my listeners and and all you listeners now to to tommy Saldor's youtube channel one more time i made like a three or four part video series about that you know outli- outlining what the issue is um how what's the timeline potential potential timeline around that uh can it be stopped and and then i gave you gave my own opinion so it was like a four parts audit so just uh just briefly uh explain to people who maybe not listen to that and then please interrupt me and correct me if i'm wrong but uh there are certain organizations like a chemical agency in the eu and they have a, like a consultation period that lead is considered substance uh, that is harmful um, and after that consultation period, everything goes to the essentially banning lead shots on the wetlands. There's issue with the definition of the wetland because that essentially will mean that the entire countries are treated as a wetland. Um, and then further down the road, that ban will most likely be expanded to all ammunition, all shooting, uh, including sports shooters. And probably further even down the line, even uh, fishing tackle. So, so your lead, uh, lead sinkers will be gone, right? So obviously there is a lot of pushback and there is a lot of controversy around that. Um, at the time when I looked at it last time, we were talking about somewhere realistically year 2024 where this can be implemented. Please uh, share with us the latest or maybe correct me if I'm wrong with anything that I said, if I, if I was incorrect, so please do correct me and then tell us where it is now and what's going on right now. Yes, uh, it is complicated, so I'll try and simplify it as well as I can. Sure. Uh, you're right about it all, but, but it is the, the one that's, or the, the element, there's three elements of this lead shot in relation to the European Commission and the European Chemicals Agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was first the one, the original one that they started off was lead shot over wetlands, which is obviously they were saying it, ducks get poisoned from it. That's the reason for it. So lead shot is obviously shotguns mm-hmm. over wetlands. And uh, the, of course there was uh, 24 of the 28 countries had some sort of a restriction already from yeah. the European uh, Eurasian uh, Water Boards Agreement, the AEWA agreement as, as it's known as. Ireland was one of the four that hadn't Anthem. So, uh, yeah. but, but that particular, that, that particular... The, I think that Ireland, Poland, Lithuania and Romania were not... Yeah, I think it. that's the four. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's the four. Now, some of the other countries, even though they technically had something in place, mm-hmm. it wasn't... Enforced. Yeah, or, or it was a bit of a fob off or whatever mm-hmm. word you want to use. You mm-hmm. know, the, uh, I won't name names, but mm-hmm. there was, and it's well recorded on Google and different things of mm-hmm. non-compliance, non-compliance. And, there, and I know some of the other people say it's non-compliance, but I think hunters were doing it for a reason in that steel wasn't cutting the mustard. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and lead was, and they knew, if one thing drives a, a shooting man mad is it's hitting a bird 
and the bird flying on. Yes. You know, and then the bird obviously dies somewhere yeah. down the road after, you know. There's always worse, it, just to it, lose yeah, the animal. It's one of the things people hate doing. Mm. You know what I mean? You, when, when you shoot, you like to get the bird, retrieve mm. the bird, and, you know, and the bird is dispatched cleanly and, and yeah. humanely, you know. Yeah. But, uh, that, that, but that one, the, the lead shot over wetlands, now that has advanced fairly well at the minute where the European Commission have eventually, this is after, this is going on, since 2017 now, mm-hmm. in a big way, there was two co- major public consultations on it. Mm-hmm. and But eventually, they're just, just at the end of October gone by there, the European Commission came with what they call their final opinion on it. Mm-hmm. And their final opinion is pretty draconian. It was more draconian than any of us had anticipated, even though this opinion was <laughs> was given out all along for the consultation purposes, you yeah. know. But the, what they came with eventually was that, yes, that... Uh, they were going to impose it on all the countries. That was the first thing, an EU-wide ban. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, if you had more than... They were going to impose it all within 18 months mm-hmm. as well, which is a very short time when you think within about Within 18 months? Within 18 months. So it's 2021. Yeah, we're not, we're not there yet. Though. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> but, uh, then it was, it, their opinion was going to what they call uh, the REACH Committee. Yes. And the REACH Committee is basically... It's a representative... From each of the twenty-eight countries, they're a civil servant, but they're mm-hmm. they're a rep- in our case, it's a person from the Health Safety Authority in Ireland, mm-hmm. but they vary around the EU countries. But it's it's one person from the twenty-eight. So the, this, yeah. and and basically, this was being decided under a policy called comatology, which means them twenty-eight people mm-hmm. vote on it, and if if uh, to get it to, for for it to be blocked, it had to be thirty-five percent against it, mm-hmm. or but it had to be at least four countries. Yes. So that means there had to be four, there had to be a couple of big countries involved in it. Because for instance, Ireland is only 0.9% of the EU. Ireland hasn't even 1% of the EU, the population-wise. So, uh, but the the came with their opinion, as I said, was draconian. Originally, we all thought there were half, say, in three years was the time, but they came 18 months. But then they said, you could have three, if you had more than 20% wetlands, and now Mm -hmm. this is wetlands under... I think called the Ramsar definition, yes, which includes peatlands, any kind of marshy ground, mm-hmm. any kind of, any, in fact, it goes far as to say any ground that ever flooded. Yes, yes. So, so in Ireland, as you know and I know, there's not too many areas that didn't flood at some yeah. time. Yeah. So, like the, conservatively, we were saying all along, it could be, that could be as much as eighty percent of Ireland. Yeah. But anyway, they came with this opinion saying, if a country had more than twenty percent of wetlands, which Ireland clearly has. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could Im- you could impose a full ban on lead shot. In other words, lead shot could be used nowhere. <laughs> but then you had three years to do that. They're going to give you three years to do that. Yeah. So again, this is draconian stuff. This wasn't mentioned anywhere along the way that there does that ma- make makes effectively a lead shot an illegal item to possess. Yeah, if it goes ahead, yeah, if it's voted in and it goes ahead, that's what it means. It means you cannot use lead shot. A dealer couldn't sell it. Mm-hmm. You couldn't buy it. You can't. The farmer protecting, yeah. shooting a fox coming into his yeah. yard, yeah. even though. He but they were even proposing that possession is. is yeah, is that, that, that was, that's still there as well. That's, that's still there. there that, yeah. you, that you even even give it, you know I have my in my pocket I have a cocaine and the other I have a lead shot right yeah. <laughs> that's <just> like, jeez. <laughs> yeah. That's still there, yeah. And th- they came up with another one as well, which was turned down in some of the consultations, mm-hmm. that there would be a buffer zone of four hundred meters around the wetland. Okay. So in other words, well, obviously in Ireland's case, if they did go for all, that, that's gone anyway. But in, in any other place, you couldn't go within 400 
or sorry, it was 500 meters came up it, of a wetland. <sighs> so in other words, yeah, you know, it, it, it was crazy stuff. So now the, there was a there was a meeting of this reach committee a man about just on the 19th of, of November, just gone by there. Yes. After after the, obviously looking at this new proposal from the EU. Yeah. There was a fair bit of opposition to it. At least seven countries rose objections to it, including, yeah. including Ireland. Yeah. Uh, and a number of other countries said they hadn't formed an opinion on it yet or they hadn't mm-hmm. discussed it enough at home. Yeah. So there is opposition to it. Yes. You know, there. Now, they didn't make any decision. They just talked about it and they're, they're supposed to talk about it again at a REACH meeting in February. So okay. that's where it is. Now, we, we are liaison here in Ireland. We're liaison with the National Parks and Wildlife Service. Mm-hmm. Who's kind of the, the the relevant body on this, and plus in the the health safety authorities, the actual yeah. the reach person is from there. Now we've met them three three times already, mm-hmm. and they are and, and uh, we are actually talking to them today about sending in uh, um, the the European Commission. We're looking for submissions from governments on this mm-hmm. by the one by the sixteenth, which is next week, is it or the week after? Yes, uh, on it. So we hope to put in a submission again on that to them. Mm-hmm. So that's what the lead short one is. It, it is pretty advanced. There is opposition to it. And but so, so in other words, we still don't know what's going to happen because they come out with a with a like a much more draconian proposal or opinion. But then, like you said, there's many countries who are still opposing it. So we're none none the wiser. We, we're not really, Tommy. No, the it, it's 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 not clear cut. And in Ireland's case, we don't have a proof house here in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So I mean. And guns, all our old guns are all proof for lead. Or nearly all, I'd say there's only maybe a couple of percent of guns would be proof for steel, and particularly for high-grade steel. Really? Yeah. So is it not like the all the new shotguns are or can shot the, the steel shots as well? A good few of them would, yes. But uh, steel shot, high-performance steel shot is a three-and-a-half-inch cartridge. It's a longer chamber uh-huh. than your standard chamber. Okay. It's simply to give you... To give you the the kind of distance you have with lead, okay. Because ordinary normal steel has very limited distance. You might have any, mm-hmm. you wouldn't shoot a duck past twenty five yards. Yes. You know, and probably a bit less than that even. You know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for instance, you sh- see the, the, where where, a lot, where farmers are going to be really caught with this because they have their guns really for vermin protection. Yeah. So they'd want to be able to shoot a crow, a fox, maybe mm-hmm. a dog if he's attacking sheep or something mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. So they want a gun. That has, you know, the gun I'm describing that would shoot normal steel mm-hmm. wouldn't literally tickle a fox. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. they will need the high, they, they will need, a, and unfortunately one of these guns will probably cost somewhere around 1,500 euros. Yeah. So yeah. The, f- for the farmer has a shotgun there that will do the job now. Mm-hmm. To change over to steel, he's going to have to go for a new gun. Yes. Probably somewhere in the region of 1,500 euros. Mm-hmm. To use these three and a half inch cat- steel cartridges, you know, so that's yeah. that's what the big thing. And, and unfortunately, I would think farmers' guns, ninety five percent of them are going to fall into that category. And you're talking yeah. about you're talking about hundred thousand guns or, or thereabouts, yeah. you know. Yeah. So there's going to be serious scrappage of guns if this goes ahead in Ireland, because simply. So, so so I suppose the problem is with the with the timelines where it's going to happen, right? Like eighteen months, even three months is the because you know I I always draw the the parallel to unleaded fuel 
right? Unrated petrol. Yeah. It was kind of like a similar thing that it was like all of a sudden people decided, like not all of a sudden, but they decided, you know, we got to get do away with lead and petrol. And then there was these engines that were running on unleaded fuel. And there was like, oh, they have less power and they gonna, you know, the catalyst, catalyst you know, will, will clog up and like, oh, whatever. This is bad. The, and like we like right now, I guess most of the young people, there's like on the petrol stations a D for diesel. What is a U for petrol? Why is that P? U, right? <laughs> they don't even they don't even know. It's unleaded. So I think that over time, it's it's gonna kind of you know we're gonna it, it, get not over doubt it. It, it won't over time, but to see there is le- steel doesn't do what lead does. Steel is not as good or not near as but, good. But is it just because nobody was developing steel cartridges and nobody was developing shotguns that, that, are, that are shooting steel? So we kind of like presented with that new thing. It's like, oh, but the guns that we have and ammunition that we have are not performing that good. Well, sure, because for the past you know 20 years, nobody was developing them. There's a bit of that. Now, it would have been developed. There is a couple of countries have switched over to steel, Denmark being one of them, and oh. Netherlands. They have, uh, they have done it for 20 years. Or really? It's been going on for 20 years, yeah. Oh. But it's still not, steel is not as good, simple as that. Mm-hmm. Plus, the second problem with steel is ricochet. Steel yes. is a ball burn. Yes. And if it hits something hard... Yes, it's, it's going to bounce off. While lead will ricochet as well, yeah. but lead tends to flatten when yes. it hits something hard. It will ricochet, but not as bad. Yeah, but it will absorb the energy yeah, absorbed and, and, yeah, exactly. and flatten. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, exactly. And is the steel the only material that can be used? What about copper? Because Cop- I know, like for for shooting rifle. Yeah, there's mixtures of copper and lead, and there's very variations. Yeah, mm-hmm. they can. There's a uh, t- tungsten was used in in uh, for. Um, for lead shot or for, for shot, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, and bismuth. Yeah, they are, bismuth is ferociously expensive. Oh yeah, because the bismuth could this be is, this seven, is year, seven years of cartridge or something of that nature, you know. Wow. And it is a fairly rare metal. That's got, exactly, it's got somewhere in Siberia, I think, or somewhere. Yeah, I'd imagine if it starts being used a lot, the price will probably go up as well. You know. Yeah. Uh, Imagine the guy who sits on that mine and this is like his land. He his just land, like yeah, goes yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah bring it on, there. bring it on. Bring it on <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, what we don't know is, is it toxic or... Well, exactly. Are you not replacing one toxic substance with another even more toxic yeah, substance? Yeah, and, and even with steel, while steel mightn't cause the problem with the duck's gizzards, mm-hmm. steel almost certainly will cause problems with water quality. Because yeah. it rusts very it, quickly. It rusts, it dis- yeah. Steel disintegrates within 10 years, I reckon. That's, mm-hmm. you know, if you dropped a pellet there now, it'll mm-hmm. be gone in 10 years. Yeah. And, of course, it is washing into the waterways or wherever, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, while lead, when it landed on the ground, it doesn't tend to... Lead doesn't bar in very acidy ground or something. It wouldn't deteriorate at all. It just sinks back into the ground, more or less, and disappears. Yeah. You know, lead doesn't... I have a... I, like, I, I heard that argument, but anyone who had, the, like a like, a lead sinker knows that if you drop it to a water it kind of changes you know like very quickly kind of oxidizes and yeah in acid maybe in bog or in acidy ground it can mm-hmm. but but generally speaking lead doesn't lead doesn't change say in yeah. solid in grass or in grassland yeah. lead doesn't so the argument is that the ducks are eating that lead and getting lead poisoning from that yeah, not the, that the that the lead is in the environment, or the argument is no, that the no, lead the, is in the environment. No, no. The, the, in relation to the lead shot over wetlands, the mm-hmm. reason it's over wetlands is yeah. ducks were picking it up 
uh-huh. and a duck has a gizzard yeah, yeah. To, to, to break down its food. Yeah. yeah. And the theory was that the duck, the gizzard, the lead was getting into the gizzard. Yeah. And the duck was breaking down the lead as well, which it will happen because it's a grind and yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the gizzard is a grinding it, mechanism yeah, exactly. for breaking up. Uh, for, um, they swallowing the stones and other things. Yeah, yeah. Just they, to, just they, to, they naturally take in stone to use as a kind of a sandpaper. That's mm-hmm. nature. That's the way it yeah. works. And that the the theory was they're taking in the lead as well. That the duck dabbling in the in particularly shallow water would yeah. pick it up and take it in. Now. We would argue a bit that while he will take it up, mm-hmm. that it, that in Ireland it's not a problem at all because we did a survey only last exactly. last shooting season, where we did the gizzards of twelve hundred or just short of twelve hundred ducks, and twenty one ducks had one pellet in them of that mm-hmm. twelve hundred, you know, and and everyone agrees one pellet doesn't do them any harm anyway, you know, yeah. like they'll have to have a couple of pellets at least for to do any harm. You're probably getting more harm just flying over the road and inhaling all the diesel, diesel fumes or something, yeah, than yeah. that one pellet that, in their yeah, gizzard. That, uh, that, that w- it's definitely not a problem here. It may be a problem where there's intensive shooting going on somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you had a nestery or something of that nature where there's mm-hmm. an awful lot of shooting going on, traditionally a lot of shooting going on. Yes. That, that the duck, particularly if the water is shallow water then as well, Yeah. that the duck is paddling there and picking up a lot of lead there. But that in our shooting, as you know, where there's deep water, obviously the lead is going down too deep. Mm-hmm. You know, the only place he get it maybe is along the edge or or, or shallow somewhere, somewhere is shallow water. Yeah. And, and like we've asked this since this came up a couple of years ago, we asked all our members, have any ever seen a duck that you thought died from lead poisoning? And no one has ever had. No one can ever. Yeah. You know. How would you recognize it? Well, then? yeah, that's another. Well, we have got ducks, for instance, after the Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. We have the woodcock have came with one leg and deformed mm. from that, you know. Okay, okay. And we have, you know, the bird flu thing a couple of years ago. We yeah. would have got snipe and different birds dead from that. Yeah. Like we have, we would have found birds dead they, from... Was, it, was there like a necropsy done on those birds? There would have been, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. We used to hand them into the department. No, so they came back some other time and said that they hadn't died from it. We, we think they did, <laughs> to mm-hmm. be honest, because we can't... Because mm-hmm. normally you don't find that many mm-hmm. birds when you're out shooting. I know fellas found snipe with the bird flu. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they weren't dead, they were, but they were, they were as yeah. practically dead, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so in one or two cases, they came back saying it wasn't bird flu. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, yeah. I would be inclined to think it was, you know. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. Okay. You know. but, but they were like a properly tested. Yeah. Oh, they were. Yeah. Yeah. We would always take them in if we get them anyway, just, mm-hmm. you know, because you always want to know what's going on in case there's something yeah, new exactly. that we don't know about, you know. Exactly. But, uh, but, but lead shot, no. No one can ever say, you know, no one. Obviously, we don't know for sure. You know, you don't mm-hmm. know, but but it never seems to have been a problem. No, it never, it never seems, seems to be a problem here. And there was okay. a survey done back in, I think it was eighty one or eighty two, by Doctor Douglas Butler at the time. Who was a, he? Was a shooting man from Tipperary, but he'd been a scientist as well, and uh, he he came back with something that 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 survey there was one point seven five of a of an occurrence. You know, wow. twenty one of of twelve hundred. His one, I think, was about two percent of the time as well. You know, so okay. it was very low then as well. You know, so and we we don't as I say we're, we're doing another survey just at the minute on this present shooting season mm-hmm. that's, that's in at the minute, and hopefully we'll have the results of that next year. You yeah. know, after obviously the, sh- the, yeah. the season closes, but we don't see it as a problem. So it's very hard to mm-hmm. tell our members. You have to give up your lead and you have to give up, get a new shotgun and farmers and everyone else. 
yeah. over this when, when no one can see it on yeah. the ground that there is a problem, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. Is there any talk then to getting rid of lead in any ammunition, including like a, like a, you know, deer hunting and so on? Yeah, I'm just coming to that. <laughs> All right. Sorry. I'm like, great, great, please. The, the, the European Commission and the ECHA have just started. And this is maybe one for your listeners now and for everyone. Yeah. Uh, they've started what they call the restriction process on that thing. It's all led in shooting and fishing, right? Mm -hmm. So you're talking about your all bullets, be the air rifles, yeah. anything, anything in shooting that uses lead yeah. and fishing. Yeah. And they've just started it there. They, they, they flagged this last year, but they actually started it. They're looking what they call for uh, submissions on, on evidence. Uh, mm -hmm. So they're kind of saying if you can come in with some evidence of, you know, but I would I would appeal to all your listeners maybe to, uh, by the way, this this submission or this uh, consultation it closes on the 16th of December, which is mm -hmm. not that far away. It's only yeah. a fortnight roughly, isn't it? Yep. And uh, two weeks. So if any, I, I'd appeal to all your to get onto the ECHA website. You can go in there and there's a, there's a, no, it's a little bit cumbersome to get onto but you can go on it has to be done online as well the submission mm -hmm. has to be done online yeah uh this five they ask five questions on it but you can also uh, attach documents or that kind of thing as well on a section but the problem is if you go into it and you leave it you lose it so you have to go you, you'd want some of your answers you'd want to look at the answers yeah. first and have them pasted or have them done yeah that you can just paste them across yes because if you go in and you do an hour and then the wife rings you to go uh, for whatever yeah. and you leave it you've lost it all you've yeah. lost what you've done so you need to yeah. have it maybe have your answers done and ready to paste across yes or something of that nature yeah but they're basically asking at the minute they call this an evidence call so they're looking for evidence but mm -hmm. it would be important that the people go in obviously you're talking the big problem here on this one is there is no alternative ammunition for anthony under a, a 223 mm -hmm. so a 223 is quite a large rifle generally used as mm -hmm. for shooting foxes yeah. you know be the one of the most common rifles in ireland yeah. for shooting foxes yeah but the most common rifle in ireland by a mile would be the ordinary 22 or mm. the variations of the 22. i would I was, I was thought that 308 would be the most popular i got no traditionally mm. an awful lot of people with a 22s now yeah like you know, 22 might, 250. yeah well they would be the bigger the center the but center a lot fire. Of people would have the original 22 for <laughs> shooting rabbits or that kind of yeah, thing yeah, you know yeah. uh that's what a lot of people would have started with. There'd be a lot of them, and the, uh, they would be the most common one, mm -hmm. I'd say. Mm -hmm. The 308s is more deer rifle, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. There they would be a good few of them, but but mm -hmm. no, the the 2-2 would be the big one. But, yeah. but under this, there is no alternative ammunition. So the, mm -hmm. all they are all they are all for the scrap heap, if, yeah. if this goes ahead. Well, you know, like in California, like I, I remember that when I was doing those videos this six months ago, there was exactly on the day where California imposed like a total ban on ammunition. Yeah. So I would imagine that, you know, a lot of manufacturers of ammunition are they, you know, this ammunition will start to popping up. Uh, I'm just, you know, trying to be on a positive note that, right. you know, you can buy the deer hunting ammunition which is copper copper ammunition 308 one you know 30 is 270s so i would imagine that more you know and more and more that push to get rid of lead will be going ahead the more of the ammunition manufacturers would be developing that ammunition so you know that what i said so absolutely uh, and and because i don't know if that podcast will be out before the 16th i'm gonna just put that snippet that you just said uh, about uh, going to the ECHA website and and submit that just just to reach people and give them opportunity to do that. 
Um, but another thing that I said was like, when you and your local gun shop ask about non-lead ammunition, just just ask about like just demand because these people will then ask their suppliers and their suppliers and that well, you know, we we're gonna build a demand. So whether it's gonna be three years or five years or ten years, it seems like it's gonna happen, doesn't it? Well, it does on that one, but I mean, for shooting something like a rabbit. Yeah. Or a small, you know, small... Have like an expensive copper ammunition. Yeah, yeah. plus you're using a very big caliber thing to shoot them as well. Well, a twenty two. Oh, yeah, I'm assuming that we, yeah. we will have copper twenty twos by then, you know, well, <laughs> hopefully. I, I, I know I was at one of the meetings and some of the manufacturers were there. Yeah. The Fiatchi from Italy were there. One, yeah. you, actually, one of them, one of them Fiatchis himself was there. Yeah. And he said there is no alternative ammunition or no one has anything in the pipeline either. Mm-hmm. Now... Someone from Denmark was at a recent meeting and they said they had something. Yeah. But it's a local Denmark thing, I think. And Denmark yeah. don't use standards. They don't seem to have any standards yeah. over there at all in relation to... No. I think that he, when the Americans it, he, gets on that, the Federals, the SACO, maybe not American, but like SACO, the SACO Federal... Finland or something. Finland, right? Yeah. Like Hornady. Once the big, guy, big, big names yeah. get onto that... They, they, may, they may come with it, but no one yeah. has anything at the minute on it. You know, yeah. they don't seem to have... And they should, they should. Yeah, yeah, that's Again, a problem. The, the, copper, of course, may be toxic as well. Don't forget. Yeah, and so, it's damn expensive. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's expensive, and it's a forty box and a, a, a box of ammunition, forty euro. Yeah, and most people will still say lead does it probably the best mm-hmm. all the time. You know. Yeah. And, and there is, uh, you know. People talk about meat, but there is, there is countermeasure. You don't use the, the, the track of the bullet or, you know, there, there mm-hmm. is ways of, of, of treating the animal yeah. that you don't, you're not using the lead, you know. Yeah. But uh, again, it, it, it's obviously the rifling and all that is affected as well. Mm-hmm. Lead, you know, lead easily rifles and all the rest of it. I, I'm mm-hmm. not an expert on, on rifles now, but mm-hmm. for instance, if they go to steel, Steel is never as accurate with a rifle, you know, and the rifle, yeah. and you, you need a different rifle, I think, to use steel as well, mm-hmm. you know. So, I don't know. I, a, I, a lot of the traditional rifles that were obviously made for lead yes, won't, won't work. Maybe. They maybe. have to be changed. They, they, mm-hmm. they may be, some of them more expensive ones, maybe worth boarding out and redoing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. Can it be done? It but, seems like like for ri- rifle is less of a problem because you, you kind of have the same case and the same same bullet. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, uh, I'm using, like, a lead ammunition, obviously, for target practice and so on. And when I specifically go hunting, I'm, I'm using this copper ammunition copper, yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's a meat for the consumption. Uh, like you said, uh, but it's just my preference. You know, like I decided to do that. But like, yeah, the, you, you know, you like the first on. animal that I shot, I shot with the lead ammunition, and I ate it, and I'm I'm here. You're so. here. <laughs> so are a lot of people. That's, that's yeah. The, you, yeah. You're, you're back to it again. A lot of people have done it all their lives, and they mm-hmm. they can't see anything wrong with it. You know, and never yeah. never will. But uh, no, it, it's just lead, lead does it well. Copper, obviously, all these. See, the real the real fear you'd have as well is that. When they've done this, the, someone come back and say, "Oh, well, copper is toxic too." You know, you're yeah. That's the, that's, yeah. That's the second problem, uh, yeah. but probably not as big a, as the other one in that there is some alternative. But, but it is a big problem for the smaller rifles. And, and as yes. I said, there is there will be an awful lot of rifles scrapped in Ireland because yeah. I, I would think a twenty-two, your ordinary little twenty-two, yes. which is only a little, you know, the little cast, yeah. Yeah. the little rounders in that. Yeah, it'll be very hard to get Anthem because lead is so. 
you know, dints and it, mm-hmm. it, it, lead suits that. And, exactly. And, and probably exactly. nothing else does, you know. Exactly. I, I don't think, you know. Uh, <laughs> but that's... Uh, the, 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 as I say, that's going on. Obviously, the fishing, I'm not directly involved in fishing myself, but I, I assume you can get other alternatives for fishing, you know, but, but let again. Yeah, but you know, even like number one, you have a lot of, a lot of your gear, you know, even, even lures, like if you're bass fishing on the lure, you, you, you have, you have them weighted with the lead. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Granted, it's inside the lure, but still, we don't yeah. know what the, what the ECHA will come up with. You know, well, it, and then even if you're using like a sinkers, you know, you're losing them, right? You're you're you're, you're breaking yeah. off, and then you need to buy them. So, so you know, right. like a like an eight ounce piece of stainless steel has to be more expensive and than that's eight that's eight ounce and a bigger yeah that's right, than the right. eight ounce lead yeah, sinker, yeah. right? So a lot of things will change. Yeah, yeah. You'd wonder. I know I was at a meeting where a fisherman was there. And he made the point you're making there. He says, there is no evidence whatsoever that these cause any problem. He said, there was one size, I forget what's, you know, one of the wee size you put on a, it's like a bit of lead shot. There was mm-hmm. one size was found to cause a problem that some water birds did eat that. Mm-hmm. And he said, but any of the other sizes? They've never. Yeah. He said, there was no problem whatsoever identified by anyone, yeah. expert anyone, that was causing problems. Mm-hmm. So he said he was making the point that he couldn't see the reason for changing. How do you see this played out? Like, like, you know, where you're, we know how it's going to play out with a pessimistic hat, right? Yeah. I don't want you to put an optimistic hat, but like, because optimistic is like, it's all going to get scrapped and it never happened, right? But like from your experience, obviously you're very experienced and and you've been around, like how, how, what is the most likely way it's going to play out? It's difficult. The second one, the first one, it's it's hard to know. Like the EU are hell bent on bringing in something. There's no doubt about that. They really have followed this up, you know, big time. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and politicians, by and large, would be thinking the way we're thinking. You know, so it is more or less the civil servants or the EU civil servants that's pushing this. You know, mm-hmm. so it's hard to it's hard to know for sure how how far they'll push it, but they do seem to be pushing it at the minute. You know, yeah. Um, and do you do you do you subscribe to these somehow conspiracy theories that this is all really aimed at restricting gun ownership and and restricting shooters and kind of taking guns away from people rather than really about the environment because there is a lot of you know voices like that as well. Do you think is a merit in that? There is some merit in it. Yes, there is. Uh, for instance. There's, there's a third lead ban <laughs> if there wasn't enough mm-hmm. the third lead ban is is a total ban on all lead yeah in use that's batteries the roof of your house everything yeah anthem lead is used in. and that came from sweden sweden proposed mm-hmm. it to the european com- or the <laughs> of european all the countries yeah sweden sweden and uh but it was also proposed by the Swedish Chemicals Agency. It wasn't even the Swedish government that proposed it. Uh-huh. And the Swedish government is, there's a strong Green Party element there. I think yeah. the, the minister may be in a Green minister yeah. in charge of that. And uh, I have no doubt they they have a bigger agenda, particularly they, they, them people. And, and they were behind these other ones as well, or partially behind some of these other mm-hmm. ones as well. You know, and now we objected at the time because the EU law says a member state must mm-hmm. must ask them. Yeah, this is a a body of a member state that asked them, yeah. the European or the Swedish Chemicals Agency. Yeah, now the EU wouldn't go with us at the time that that 
they, they did this wrong. Now that's only at a very early stage. That's yeah. they put that on a thing called a candidate list. Yeah, the famous candidate list. Yeah. Yes. And uh, but that, that in fairness, that's how it started with the lead shots. That's how it starts with them all. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, a the that's a process. That's a process. It's the first the step. The next process, if they go there, which we think they will go there, is they'll put it on a thing called an authorization list, mm -hmm. and that means. If I or you or any any manufacturer, anyone dealing, if you want to use lead in this case, you have to look for an authorization of the European mm -hmm. Chemicals Agency to use it. Yeah. So they may well then come and say, yeah, mm -hmm. we'll give it to you for the roof of the house, but mm -hmm. we won't give it to you for, for making ammunition with it. Yeah, you know, or that sinkers be, for your fishing. Yeah, that's what we suspect will, will happen there, you know. Right. So right. as opposed to answer your question, there is an element behind it. We, we, we would think there is an element. Mm -hmm. of anti-shooting behind this you know yeah 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 now some people will argue the opposite obviously <laughs> that mm -hmm. there isn't but but uh, there is a lot happening together yeah. you know there is it's always more complex and, is, and it, 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 it's like if this is going on then obviously anti-shooting lobby will jump on it the, the way, because yeah, the because this is right up their alley so right, it yeah. so it might not be like oh this is the only reason this is happening but there are people who have this agenda and since it's happening yeah. they're gonna be pushing that too uh, right? uh, that's right yeah there is but the, the most most of us involved in this for a long time would say there is an element there particularly that element i mentioned they, they are definitely that way inclined you know and mm -hmm. uh and they, they they were pushing a lot of these they were pushing all these actually for at, so, at some stage you know yeah, so, yeah. Uh, is so it, is there any chance this is not going to happen or is it going to uh, be the, like a phased uh, the, out? The, there is a chance it won't happen because uh, there is a lot of opposition to it. Like Even when I was talking to you before, mm -hmm. and I'm not quite sure how long ago it is, but yeah. uh, that time, you know... The, the June, I think it was July. I think that the 30th of June, California banned... Oh, that could have been... Really, yeah, so yeah. That I think it was like a, like a, like a yeah. May or June. Yeah, yeah but, but I mean... One of the countries who objected to this at the meeting last week is France, for instance. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, France is a big say they have 15% exactly. of the EU, you know. Exactly. I know at some of our meetings, you know, three or four of the big countries, Italy, France, Germany, all, were all more or less saying what we were saying. These are the hunting people now that I'm talking about. But mm -hmm. at that REACH meeting, France mm -hmm. objected the other day to it. France is one of the countries objecting to it. So, yeah. the, you know, the, some of the big countries are coming in. They're, start, they're starting to see... What this will cause, you know, and this will cause Ireland particularly a lot of problems with no proof house. You yes. know, there will be an awful lot of guns being scrapped in Ireland over this if it goes yeah. ahead. And particularly for the intermittent user like the farmer who might only use the gun exactly. twice a year. Exactly. For to shoot a few crows, maybe going into his sheds or shoot a fox, maybe at, at lambs or at stock mm -hmm. or whatever, or dogs, maybe attacking sheep. Mm -hmm. You know, and as, as one farmer said to us, he mightn't shoot a box of cartridges in three years. Yeah. But that when he wants it, he wants it. <laughs> you yeah, know, when, exactly. when there's something happening, he has to get it. Exactly. Uh, and you see, if you're going to tell him, and there is approximately 100,000 guns in this country in Ireland held by farmers, mm -hmm. they would near enough have half the guns in the country, you know. Yeah. So it is going to cost him people a lot of money mm. over something you know that they are not yeah because like like you said if you said if you any problems if you, you know? if you're shooting like a box of cartridges in three years then it's like uh, their their usage is not yeah it's not polluting the world are we you know what i mean yeah. they're not polluting anthony you know yeah so. they're, they're they're doing a lot of more other things that are polluting more than these cartridges the yeah exactly exactly yeah. And, and it will be i know the, the ifa were at that meeting with us with them and and the, the ifa man made that pint big time he said that 
he said the wetland is the farmer's yard now is a wetland under this definition yeah you know exactly he said if he goes out there and his crows flying out of his shed or something eating the meal and, and, and you know maybe giving disease to the cattle or whatever and he shoots them and he has to buy this new gun to shoot them it's going to cost him 1500 or whatever euros yeah he says and the ammunition will be more and expensive the as he well says, you know he says will they be compensated for it yeah. Will, will do you give them some compensation to change over? Yeah. You know, because this is effectively a tool of their trade. This is, yeah. you know, this yes. is not this is not for pastime. They do this for their stock, protecting their stock yeah, and whatever, exactly. you know. It's uh, a tool, like you said. Yeah, yeah. So he did make a good point on, on that front. Now, there was no answers, obviously, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the EU didn't say, yeah, we'll pay... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll pay uh, yeah, yeah. 100,000 farmers yeah, 1,500 yeah. apiece to change their guns, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't see this happening. I don't see that happening. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't see that one happening, you know. Uh, uh, and then you have the second problem, particularly around yards or where to be, you know, shooting steel is, is a lot more dangerous because there's a lot more things steel can bounce off around the yeah, yard the you know, shame, you know yeah. there's stone and you know in Ireland there is a lot of natural stone anyway yes and then you have maybe the yard or bits of concrete or whatever it is mm-hmm. you know and if it hits that it is going to bounce off it you know so yeah. you have them problems as well you yeah. know so really we waiting till February we wait till February yeah that's where it is at the minute but uh, say if your listeners could engage with that because the more people that engage with it, let know and mm-hmm. and try I suppose your listeners want to kind of put their own <laughs> look at their own guns in their own cabinet and say yeah. will my guns pass here and my guns for the scrap heap as well you know yeah and th- that's as most the test of it you know yeah. and if, if they you know if they can judge and when they're doing the submission if they say i have four guns or my club has 10 guns and only two of them will shoot steel or whatever you know that means mm-hmm. the other eight men have to go and change their guns cost and whatever you know yeah it, it brings it down to reality what is going to cost on the ground to yeah. people on a club or on on, a, on an individual basis for that matter, you know. Exactly. Uh, you know. Okay. Um, listen, Dan. So um, we we're gonna be wrapping this up. Is there anything? There's there... one more thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is this is what I'm asking. Please. There's one more thing. Sure. Um, the Irish government brought in a, what they call a statutory instrument. A statutory instrument is law, basically. It mm-hmm. transposes EU law into Irish law. Yes. They brought in one there on the, I think it was the 2nd of August, just gone by, mm-hmm. and it became law a month later on the 1st of September, which is obviously a big day for shooting people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's when the duck mm-hmm. season opens. Yeah, and the deer season. And the deer season opens. But what they brought in was that uh, before this, there was no rule in relation to ammunition when you were in a car or transporting it. Ah, okay. I know what you're going to talk about. Yep. And they brought in this thing called a locked receptacle. Mm-hmm. They said you have to have ammunition in a locked receptacle when you're transporting it. Yeah. Now, wh- what is a locked receptacle? One man could call it a, a little bag with a lock on it. Another man could call it a safe in the bank. Mm-hmm. You know, and everything in between. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> what th- it, it, it is problemsome for in that normally what we did was throw if you have a gun belt on us or whatever yes i'm talking more about the person now who's going out shooting and he maybe he goes into a field and, and does his bit of shooting there and then he's mm-hmm. going a half mile down the road again or whatever you know yes. and, and they do use the word transporting so i suppose technically if you're walking along the road you're probably transporting it as well you know well, i don't know well don't we <laughs> yeah we'll stick with the car for the minute yes but uh so technically what under this and this is the law at the minute now this is yes. not this is the law when you come back to the car you, you're supposed to take 
the cartridges out of your pocket or your gun belt and put it into this locked receptacle. Mm-hmm. Right. Whatever that is. Whatever you, that is. If, you, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna put a, like a padlock on your pocket in your on your jacket it, it might do I don't, it that's probably locked would, receptacle probably would do i don't know <laughs> and uh but anyway to, to make a long story short we rose this with the department when they brought first of all they didn't properly transpose the eu the, what the eu say in relation to this is if you have it in your immediate possession mm-hmm. it's okay so in other words if you have it in your pocket even if you had it beside you there in the seat of the car yes it's okay yes that's what the eu directive says on exactly so it's so it's so protected from being stolen by exactly, somebody yeah. who is not authorized to use yes it. now the do go on i think to say if you got out of the car you'd be supposed to lock it away or, or yes you know yes but but if it's in your immediate possession mm-hmm. that's grand so yeah. in other words if you have it in your pocket if you have it in your gun belt yeah it's immediate possession grand yeah. you're supposed to keep the gun away from the ammunition all right yeah locked away which yeah. that has been there for years anyway that's yeah. nothing new about that yeah so we did go into the department when this came out on the 12th of September and they said, give us the word and the G thing. So we gave them the word and based on the EU directive, you know. Yeah. But five weeks later, they came back to us and said they wouldn't change it, anyway. So they didn't change it. Mm-hmm. So we are going to, we have looked to have a meeting with the minister on it to change it. It is a bit nonsensical. Yeah. There is also another nonsensical one that the, the transposed a few years back where, where if you have a safe, mm-hmm. And you lock your gun on it. You're not supposed to put the cartridges into the gun. You're supposed to keep the cartridges separate from separate, the gun. Yes. Now but that was a mistake they made. The transposed, the, the I think they used the one in relation to the car for the house. Yes. And we have checked all over Europe. All over Europe is consistent with the EU derogation. You know, I think ten countries came back and told us, yeah, you can have ammunition in your immediate possession when stored in the house. You can store it in a safe with the gun. Yeah. You know, Especially that some gun safes they have special compartment for the ammunition that's to, right, yeah. to keep keep it there because well, it's I, locked away. Yeah, well, I think the department said if you have a if you have that separate lock, provided there's a lock on it, though. Yeah, that's okay. The that's department okay. said that was okay, but uh, a lot of them have just an open maybe yeah, shelf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It might be locked. So, so we said that this is nonsensical, and that mm-hmm. you put in your this could be a real good safe. Yeah, you know, a real good safe properly put to the wall that it would take you know it won't leave there basically yeah and you put your gun in but you have to take the cartridges up and put them into the locker beside the bed yeah. that anyone could open with a yeah with a, with a, a basic screwdriver exactly and uh, so they kind of agreed that was nonsensical so we looked to change that but, the, but in the heel of the hunt they came back and said they wouldn't change it now we're going to have a meeting with the minister uh-huh. and we might if your listeners are no any politicians uh-huh. I might mention to them that this is nonsensical. It shouldn't have happened. Okay, but this is good to know. This is this is excellent that you brought that up because it means that that thing is pretty much ongoing and we can do something about it. Is, it. Unfortunately, it is the law at the minute. And well, uh, it is, but it's it's not like unchangeable. No, no, it's not unchangeable. Statutory instruments can be changed by the Minister for Justice. You know, they can be changed. We thought okay. he would have changed this when we pointed out all this, but he didn't. But yeah. we, uh, as I say, we looked for a meeting with him, just he hasn't come back yet. He just came back and acknowledged it, but he didn't give us a meeting. Okay. But when we get the meeting, we will say to him, it has to be changed because it, it is going to get, it's nonsensical, first of yes. all. And then secondly, someone may get into trouble over it inadvertently by some way, you know, 
live a complicated oh and especially that when when you have a like a like a you know what is that locked receptacle right like what is what is it really so then then you're going into interpretation Interpretation, like too much interpretation then you know you you you're falling onto somebody having bad day bad day and interpreting something against you you already even some guards come back saying you need a safe in the car you know yeah, you know what I mean. That this is what this is the problem, and this has been a problem with firearms in this country. Anyway, there's a thing called commissioner's guidelines, mm-hmm. which is kind of the the parameters why how you get firearms and how, you know for the, all the users, the, yeah. the, the the applicant, the superintendent who's issuing it and all the rest. But they have been interpreted all over the place as well. Yeah, you know, and this is another one that will be interpreted all over the place. You know, yeah. as I say, one superintendent could say. Oh, you need a you need a, a lock safe in that car. Mm-hmm. Another man can say, "Well, sure, if you have some, you know, lock it in the glove compartment will do, or you know, something, mm-hmm. you know." And but invariably, it'll be subject to different interpretations, you know. And yeah. and law should be clear, exactly. You know, it should be clear to everyone, you know. And uh, like uh, locked receptacle, yeah, wow. ca- can mean a hundred things, you know yeah. what I mean? You know, a dun storage bag with a lock on it. Exactly, is a locked receptacle. It is probably, you know. It is. Uh, I mean, like, I mean, like, it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's kind of that. That that's the one we're working on at the minute. Uh, that's a very important one. It is an important one. I mean, yeah, I'm, because I'm, I'm glad you you said you said you said it, uh, Dan. So so tell me if anyone is listening to that and is not a member of NARGC yet, how they can get, how get they can become a member. Well, we are a club-based organization. Yeah. Or maybe how they can support your work, because this is what it's down to, right? Yeah, how yeah. do you support your work? Well, you can support the work by getting involved. You know, if there's a project in your area, maybe... Obviously, there's a lot of bogs coming on stream now with, with uh, Bornemona pulling out, and we will be involved in projects around the Midlands in relation to the bogs, trying to restore the bogs back, which we'll probably be working with other partners, as we talked about earlier, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if, if someone is interested in that, just talk to some of your fellow most of our fellas are parish fellas they're involved in other organizations you, you probably know most people will know someone mm-hmm. in a gun club in their area anyway yep. uh, if obviously they want to get involved fully as as shooting people you have to join a club at our structure we don't take individual mm-hmm. membership you have to be in a club yep. we, we are a whole structure if you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh so what i'd say to you is try join your club even if you don't want to shoot and you want to be involved just join your club because our insurance covers you then on any activity you're at. And this is my point, right? Exactly. Yeah. That if, if, if somebody will join the club, then they will effectively contribute to your organism, to, to an, an ARGC and to work that you're doing. That's right. And e- even to go a little bit further, we do do a membership for young people. For instance, anyone under 14 can join for a tenor. Wow. And anyone between 14 and uh, 19, I think, or 19, yeah, is half price, you know. So, okay. And anyone over 70 is half price. Okay. So the middle core are yes. full price, if you know yes, what I mean. Yes, exactly. But I mean, the, the reason for that is obviously anyone under 14 is not shooting anyway. They, can, they yeah. can't have a gun. Yeah. Right. But the reason is that they could be down with their father or get them involved down, maybe rare than pheasants at a pin or, or some exactly. of the conservation work or whatever that they're out there. And it covers them just in case they have some accident. Exactly. You know, if they fall away. And they have this beautiful card. They get the card as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And it gets them involved. It's trying to get 
that's one of the problems we noticed down the years. There's not enough of young people yeah. coming, and this is oh uh, yeah, this is a common theme with all sports. I think, and all particularly fishing is the same problem. Nearly mm-hmm. all the countryside sports have the same problem. Youngsters, for some reason, don't seem to be coming on. I suppose there's too many games and too many Dis- whatever phones and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. They don't. They're not coming on board. And this was a thing that brought in, we brought in a couple of years ago. So you know. The ordinary man there, if he's interested in getting involved in projects or with the gun club, if he's not a shooting man, mm-hmm. you know, if he joins, we have to have the insurance because we have to protect any farmer's land you're on. Yeah, Because yeah. we don't want someone to go in and get an injury. Yeah. And maybe start claiming of a farmer. So that's the reason yeah, we course. will always protect the farmer. Yeah. You know, and, and that's why we want everyone insured that if, if an accident happens, you go to the insurance company. Yeah. You don't. Go yeah. near the farmers insurance, exactly. you know, and exactly. uh, and 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 just maybe when I am here, just want to thank the farmers because without the farmers and without the landowners, we'd have nothing. Oh, that's what I always saying. Like without that when you nothing. talk about conservation, when you co- talk about uh, country sports, anything of that, that all relies on landowners. Landowners, and landowners yeah. are farmers. These are the people who we need to work with if we're serious about any of this stuff. This exactly, exactly. And I think that work has to be even closer from now on. I think we really have to back the farmers. And there was a, there was a, a protest in Dublin last week and we actually went up to support the farmers on it. There was two oh, or three of okay. us up at it, you know. So we would always try back to and I think there has to more of that go on. I think we have to, the countryside people have to work together a lot more from yeah. all the angles, you know, and the farmer obviously is the key to this because he yeah. he is he owns the land at the end of the day yeah. and he's the man, you know, and, and farmers have been great members of the clubs down the years, you know, they have like the backbone of our club down, we would have a lot of farmer members anyway, mm-hmm. but, you know, they have been the, the source and, you know, you work with them yeah. and they will work with you, they always do, you know, and, yeah. and farmers are always, as I said earlier on, they are conservationists, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately maybe we've lost a little bit of it in recent years, but, but, you know, the old farmers were the best conservationists of all, you know, that... It, well, I'm not surprised that people who are living off the land and they have this sort of sensitivity, yeah, that, right? They, they observe those things. It is, yeah, so, and it's in the blood as well, you know, they like to see exactly. the pheasants around, they like to see the boars around, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and as I said early on, they will, you know, I've seen busy farmers get off a tractor and run out and start shushing birds out of the meadow yeah. before they cut it the way they wouldn't get caught in the machines, you know. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, there may be another fellow up at the silage field roaring at them to take in silage or something. <laughs> you know, but they will do it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and they always have done it, you know. So. Yeah. And, and it is important to work with them. And I think even all countryside people have to work together. You yeah. know, we need to work together for the better of the countryside. And, you know, I think our, our sports are all good sports. I know we, we can, as you said earlier on, we can get a bad image at times. But, I mean, it's up to us to work together and make sure that image is changed because most of us don't shoot that much, exactly. really. Oh, but involvement in actions like this, like you said, you know, like yeah. a, like a, uh, uh, putting money into into PhDs, the doctorates, uh, students who are doing research, that's a very solid stuff. Oh, it that's, is, yeah, it is, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan, listen, thank you very much for your time. Um, it's been actually optimistic you know that conversation even though we touch a number of problems but i think that overall seeing what you guys are doing and and the whole plethora of various things that you're taking uh you know taking on and uh, supporting really hunters and anglers it's great so yeah. keep up the great work and thank you very much for your time thanks very much tommy for having me on and anytime at all come back to me thank you
You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.